Welcome to the Space Tweet Podcast for the week of 6 September 2009. Uh, Thank you for taking a chance and downloading us for our inaugural episode here. My name is Gene McCulka, and I'm joined today by two fellow members of the uh, Space Tweet Society. Uh, One is a gentleman by the name of Sawyer Rosenstein, a.k.a. the NASA man on Twitter. Sawyer works as a flight director simulating space missions for people ages 6 through 106 at the Lower Hudson Valley Challenger Center, which is one of over 50 Challenger Learning Centers in the United States. These centers were created in memory of the STS-51L crew, who lost their lives in January of 1986. He can also be followed on Twitter at LHVCC. He also has two patches that were sent into space, has met many astronauts, and yet continues enjoy enjoyed tweeting about the space program and his experiences as well. The other gentleman I'm joined here today is a gentleman by the name of Mark Ratterman, or Mark Ratterman on Twitter. Um, he has currently the what he calls the best job in the world, working for the Federal, Federal Aviation Administration since about 1975. He's been an electronics technician on, on ground-based communications, nav aids, and automated weather equipment. If he's not out in the middle of nowhere, he often works in one of the orange and white checkered shacks and buildings around the airport runways. Now, he's not a member of the space program, but he's always had a deep connection to it because of his personal interest in technology and aviation. So, without further ado... Shoot, this was like the 1960s when we were first trying to get to the moon. Um, there was a plan on the book similar to this that was dubbed, believe it or not, the, the poor slob plan. Um, it, enta- it went something like this. Uh, a individual was shot to the moon on a one-way trip. Uh, things are, you know, food supplies, things like that are, are shot to him along with any type of science experiments. While we here back on Earth tried to go ahead and figure out a way to bring him back. And believe it or not, there were a lot of volunteers for that. So I'm, you know, I'm not exactly too sure that the public is going to support something like this. Now, Sawyer, you had a chance to uh, talk to a rather interesting gentleman about this whole whole uh, whole idea. Could you go ahead and sort of relay some of that to us? Certainly, I was just about to get into that with what you said. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I got to speak to Richard Garriott, who was the multimillionaire who actually sent himself to the International Space Station aboard a Russian Soyuz rocket. Right. And I had the chance to actually sit down with him one day during a lunch conversation. And he brought up a really interesting point because someone was talking about this one-way trip to Mars. And he asked all about seven or eight of us that were at this lunch table. He went around and asked, right now, if I were to give you the opportunity to take that one-way trip to Mars, not going back, but you would have enough supplies to make it there, would you go? And every single person at that table said, yes, I would go. 
And so I find that very interesting how, you know, even though it's one way and you know you're not coming back to Earth, people will still say, yeah, I'd love to go to Mars. Again, I just have a hard time thinking that, that the American public is going to go ahead and support such a flight for a, a one-way shot. Um, because you're talking about sending somebody essentially on a suicide mission. Uh, and if that individual, you know, God forbid, dies there, we're going to be looking at the red planet in a very different way than we do today. I think, you know, the same way, um, I think the we would have looked at the moon a little differently if, you know, Apollo 8 never came back or if Apollo 13 never came back. So, I don't know, there's something psychological there that I don't think the public is going to be able to jump over. Um, comments, anybody? Yeah, I've got well, a thought. Oh, go sorry, ahead. go ahead. No, go ahead, sir. Thank you. No, you can go ahead. <laughs> Um, I've got a thought. I, you know, here here we are, civilians, and and not uh, not involved with this, but excited about the space program. And I wonder if the question was posed to the professionals, to the astronauts of ESA and NASA, and uh, you know the other countries in the world that have have men and women trained for this. I wonder what their response would be. That's a good point, Mark. I, you know, that's a very good point. Um, I may. Just pri- you know, I'm I'm hoping um, to go ahead and ask somebody that you know, ask an, a current astronaut or or somebody like that just that question. That's a very good question to ask. I may pose that during the um, the uh, the next tweet up that's coming up in uh, in, sept- in uh, mid September. Uh, just a plug, guys. Um, NASA is staging tweet up number two. Uh, that is going to happen. Um, I believe the uh, registration for that opens up on September 8th. If you're interested, go to uh, nasa.gov forward slash collaborate. And I believe there's a link there. Uh, if you want to register, I believe registration opens up at uh, 10 a.m. on September 8th. Uh, and again, this is for the tweet up on September 24th in Washington, yeah, D.C. And that's for the STS-127 mission, for those who aren't sure of what it is. That's correct. Thank you, Sawyer. So, but I hope that maybe that's a very good question to pose to, to one of those folks and, and ask them, Mark. And I, I, may, I may just do just that um, and find out. I'll, I'll let you folks know what kind of response I get. Definitely. And another thing along those lines is, you know, they ask their astronauts. Uh, most astronauts now are like an average age of about 40 or so, and that's been the way for a while. Mm-hmm. You don't have that many young astronauts. And another thing that was mentioned in that um, article, that op-ed article in the New York Times, was uh, the fact that they might consider uh, sending people that were over the age of 65. So that's like 25 years older than most of NASA's astronauts, because they figure if anything happens, at least they will live out the rest of their life on the planet of what life they have remaining, which I find kind of wrong as well as interesting. Yeah, I'm with you. It's just sort of like the expendable senior citizen, you know? I mean, um, the other thing, too, is is kind of, you know, maybe maybe the, the maybe the John Glenn research from eons ago wasn't, wasn't all that far off, um, you know, to find out what, and you know, what somebody 60, over 65, how they could deal with, with a microgravity environment. So, uh, but yeah, that, that to me seems off. Um, Mark, how about you? I agree. It's, uh, you know, we, we're kind of getting 
way so far into Sirius, but but think about what's the what's the value of a human life? Exactly. And the, the the fact that somebody would be willing to offer that in some situations is heroic. In other situations, you'd have to question what's the motive? Is it for fame? Is it for fortune? Because there would certainly have to be a big paycheck that would go to that individual's uh, heirs. Agreed. Um, Yes, definitely. A lot of a lot of questions. You know, what the big one is why. Yeah, I mean, and that's pretty much the entire question with NASA right now and our entire space program. Most <laughs> of the public is asking why. So not only would it have to be the public in this case, but the astronauts as well would have to consider why. Why go one way rather than two? Yeah, exactly. Um, but I don't know. I think we're we're sort of bringing the human component down to the level of, oh, I don't know, sojourner or spirit or opportunity. They're robots, and we expect them not to return. Uh, if we go ahead and we send a human up there, I don't know, we're, we're treating them no better than, than a robot. And I, I, I don't know, there, there's something ethically wrong about that. I don't know how you folks feel, but that's just me. Um, personally, personally, I'll wait until, uh, until I can get a round trip. <laughs> yeah, me too. Right, because the one thing with the round trip is it's almost like um, Richard Garriott was saying when I spoke to him. It's that when it comes to a round trip, I mean, you've got them going one way, and that's fine. But going back is the hardest part. It's trying to plan out a trip to get them back as well as packing enough fuel to be able to launch off of the planet and head back to Earth. It's almost like when it came to the Apollo missions, they gave them such a high percentage of possibly making it to the moon and landing, but a very, very low percentage of actually making it back safely. Exactly. It's just, I don't know. Um, <sighs> I don't know. I st I'm still kind of sort of lukewarm on the whole idea. I think I think we've really got to rethink this. I think it's just too much. It, it may be viewed by the public, too, as some sort of stunt. No, I was just going to say the uh, public perception is something that's so hard to determine, so hard to anticipate with uh, the best uh, PR and the best explanations and the best reasons. Is the public going to see it the same way or not? Yeah, agreed. Well, yeah, very true. You ready to move on? Yeah, I think we're ready for topic number two. And that is uh, one that was suggested to me by just about a whole bunch of everybody Um all the space tweets running around on Twitter. Uh, it seems like every Sunday night we kind of sort of gather by our television sets and uh, at about 10 o'clock and uh, sort of kick around an interesting series that both the American Broadcasting Company and uh, Canadian Television have uh, put together called Defying Gravity. It depicts a uh, multinational uh, crew on its way to, on a grand tour through the solar system. The year I believe it's set in, if somebody could refresh my memory, is 2052? Is. That's correct. Okay. The whole thing, if I recall exactly, and, and even the, um, I believe the producers even tried to sell it in such a manner, uh, was sort of Grey's Anatomy in space. Um, I don't know. I've, 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 I'm torn with this one. I kind of like the idea that, you know, the trip through, through the uh, solar systems being promoted as a, as a genuine idea, that people belong up there. But the way the thing is depicted, I don't know, sometimes, first off, they make some really incredible errors in, in you know, in some cases in common sense. And in other cases, I don't know, it's too soap opera to me. Um, 
you folks have seen the show. Uh, Sawyer, go ahead. Your your floor. Thanks. Yeah, with this show, it's uh, I'm one of the few people that actually can say this. Everybody out there, please do not kill me and attack me on Twitter. <laughs> but, but I'm one of the few people that actually say I like the show. Oh my god! True that it is very, <laughs> very inaccurate. It has many inaccuracies, including being able to communicate back and forth over a matter of seconds with no delay whatsoever, even when there's a very small delay even between the station and Earth, even if it's two, three seconds. This one, there's none at all. Between that and some of the other topics that are brought up that they try to make seem realistic, it's it just doesn't exactly work for me, including even if they make it 2052, you cannot grow back a thumb. I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, I could, I could see, yeah, exactly. I mean, I could see doing microsurgery or something like that, but grow it back. Um, I don't think we're going to be that advanced in 2052. Uh, the, the other thing, too, about, about the show is uh, a lot of inaccuracies. It just seems like, too, there seems to be an adversarial relationship in some cases between the ground and and the spacecraft and the Antares, which is the the name of the name of the ship. You know, there, there, there's always a cooperative relationship between the ground and and the spacecraft, and uh, I don't get that with this. There's always some sort of shadowy, you know, thing about about the relationship in this in this series. Um, there's also been a bunch of other blatant things that I find kind of wrong with with it. Plus, you know, a lot of the female characters seem to have their mind only on one thing. Um, <laughs> you know, and it, it's it, to me, it's it's saying, hey, I mean, th these are you know, these are MIT graduates for God's sake, you know. Um, and of course, the infamous green tag um, that's supposed yeah. to prevent that from happening. And yes, know, the old green dot behind the ear. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And thank you for thank you. I was trying to remember where that was, um, and uh, you know that that that's supposed to prevent uh, you know certain things from going on, and apparently it's not working all that well, huh? So you know the the soap opera aspects of the show I, I I can live without. In all honesty, I mean it's good to see you know what I mean. People are in automatons. They're gonna some you know on on a long range light like that, you know, with a lot of people in there, yeah, there may be some relationships that, that, that sort of happen, and, and that's that's just the way the human organism is. But, I don't know, I, I just don't buy it to the extent that they're showing it to me. Right, I mean, other things too, it's not like every astronaut's going to start hearing a baby crying as they're walking around, or whenever they open pod four, there's uh, the Martian dust storm, which took the lives of two members of their crew. Because, I mean, it's not like you train the two backups, the entire crew, and it just so happens that on day one, there's some heart disease that they never caught on two of them, and they've got to come back down to Earth, and then the people that had their ordeal on Mars had to go back up. It's things like that, and also when it comes to the relationship between the ground crew and the Antares, it includes, like, um, there was that character AJ, yeah. who had his ordeal on that EVA where he just started floating away. And then due to psychological reasons, they kept him out of Mission Control, and the crew kept going, where is he, where is he? And Mission Control did everything they could to avoid him, and yet they finally brought him back in. It's just that doesn't normally happen. Right, exactly. Um, so, and, and it, it's just there's a lot of things 
wrong with the series, but Sawyer, again, I have to agree with you in some cases. There's a lot of positives to be said about it, too. It's just the idea that we are a spacefaring civilization, that a trip like this is possible. It sort of sets it out out there. But by the same token, too, I, I, it, it makes... I'm happy, and it makes me cringe at the same time. I mean, it's it's just this weird feeling every time I watch this. Um, well, well, Gene, I gotta I gotta throw a little confession in there. I haven't seen the first episode yet. Okay. In fact, in fact, in looking up a little bit about it, I uh, went to the ABC uh, website for Defying Gravity, mm -hmm. and I read all the character bios. And uh, made some notes. And I got to tell you, one of the things that just absolutely surprised me, I'd heard that there was some relationships and, and things that were part of it from watching the, uh, the Twitter stream on Sunday nights. But, you know, it looks like just about everybody, uh, 12 or 14 characters are involved with somebody else, either on the ground uh, with a relationship with one of the, the astronauts in space and complex interactions between the the astronauts themselves and uh it, it it as i was reading the character bios it's like well gee this is more like a soap opera and it was hard for me from reading that to to put a spaceship around the people yeah <laughs> exactly and don't forget relationships between people and uh rabbit embryo oh shoot i was about ready to bring that up sawyer <laughs> I'm all well, here. Transition. <laughs> I was about ready to bring that up. I mean, I, I, I'm guessing, and forgive me, you know, I, I may be mistaken on this because, I, and sometimes I'm paying more attention to the, uh, to the Twitter flow because it, some of it is just absolutely hysterical. Um, I mean, than than the um, than the show, but the the rabbit embryos that are on board, they're supposed to be experimental, correct? And they are to just see if you could go ahead and get some sort of organism uh, to gestate in a microgravity condition, correct? I think Correct, that's the whole but none purpose. of them are supposed to be born. Right. So. No, but nobody's supposed to be, no, there's supposed to be no Mr. Floppy, um, you know. Or Mr. Floaty in this case. Yeah, exactly, in space. Well, I think one of the crew members last episode decided, tough darts, I'm going to bring one to term. Yes, that was episode six. Yes, but I'm just still trying to figure out how they're going to go ahead and write this in and if they're really going to go ahead and bring this little guy to term. So uh, it should be kind of... It's almost that this, this rabbit is almost a surrogate kid for this particular character. I think it is, because two things about that is, uh, other than it being you know almost like a child for the two of them since they're not together, uh, one of them is feeding it. How are you going to feed it if you have enough food ration for the crew of eight, not eight and a half? And the other thing is, it's kind of distracting because when you think about it, there was that one time where you had the bunny and uh, one of the characters brought it out. And that's when um, you had Paula lose her thumb. And just as she was needed to help um, fix her thumb or whatever the problem was, she was too busy cleaning up and finishing up after that rabbit, and so that's when Donner had to get in there. Right, exactly. It, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm just trying to see where that's going to go. I'm, I'm really, I'm really sort of scratching my head here. Um, yeah, but don't don't they get the lettuce off the catering truck outside the studio? <laughs> <laughs> oh 
Oh, <laughs> yes. boy. Oh, Mark. Maybe it's in pod four and we don't yeah, know. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Big surprise. Lettuce in pod four. <laughs> but, uh, no, honestly, again, uh, uh, just, just, to, just to swing on back here from, from our, our produce department here. Um, <laughs> Again, I'm I'm really torn with this one. I really wish they would run, ran this thing through a few more drawing boards before they uh, they decided to put it on the air. And I, I really think maybe they should have talked to somebody over at uh, over at NASA or over at uh, ESA or anybody um, to say, all right, we're in this type of situation. What do you foresee if X happens or something like that? And really had a technical advisor on it because I, I I forgive me if I'm wrong and. I haven't seen one um, on the uh, on the credits, and I'm, I've been looking around for that. And you know, somebody, if I'm if I'm wrong, tell me. Uh, I'm not sure, but one thing that uh, you know, when it comes to that, there are actually people that you know don't like the show, as you were almost mentioning. And obviously, space tweeps are not the only ones not liking it because. When you look at the uh, Nielsen ratings on them, uh, the pilot episode and the one that followed the pilot episode directly after it, they were 21 on a Nielsen rating. And that's not great, not bad, a 2.4 rating, totaling about 3.8 million viewers. But then you move already to the fourth episode and uh, you drop it to 34th with only about two and a half million people watching, which when you compare it to some of the other shows in its same time slot, uh, it's crazy. you got repeats that are hitting 6.3 million on CBS. Yeah, I mean, that's, I, you know, in all honesty, if they keep on doing this, because I'm looking at, at the, the ratings now for the show, and they seem to be hovering, um, you know, uh, week three was 28th, it was 28th, week four it was 34th, uh, week five, it was 33rd, uh, just last week, it was 31st, um, it just seems to be playing with, dabbling with, with the 30 range, and I don't know, uh, if, if you're a, you're, I, I don't know much about television, ex being a television exec, but if you're dabbling in, in areas like that, um, I don't think you're long for this world, um, so, you know, either, what what do you think should be should should this thing just just die sort of a, a horrible death and 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 go away and just sort of be be a television footnote or should it be something like you know I don't know like uh, they saved Mash in in, se in season two where it was getting horrible ratings and due to a letter writing campaign or whatever or somebody just wanting to take a chance on it, they decided, okay, let's take, let's keep it going, and it ran, what, 13, 13 seasons. So, gang, you know, given the fact that the thing is, you know, tanking, it's, it's kind of sort of hovering within the 30 range, you think it's going to survive, ultimately, or is it worthy of, of like a, uh, a Bijou Trimble, you know, rescue, or, or if it, or if it's just sort of like, just let it die? <laughs> Well, I kind of wonder if uh, the timing of it, the fact that it popped in in the summertime, which isn't that typically a, a time frame for filling stuff prior to the the big season startup shortly, or is my recollections off on that? 
No, no. No, you're right. It normally starts like uh, late September, but it could be just that. It could be just a filler that they were using until their actual lineup started to see how it would fare. Because on its opening uh, intro, uh, it was the second lowest next to a movie on CW. A repeat of Family Guy got uh, 4.6 when Defying Gravity just barely missed 4. Ouch. <laughs> Ouch. Yes. A repeat of Family Guy beats. Exactly. Me. And it didn't miss much to uh, the movie Overboard that was on the CW, which I know not many people watch. And that got a 2.31 while Defying Gravity had a 3.97. Then, and just well, so you know, this is from TVByTheNumbers.com. Okay. Um, it, it, it sounds tough. It doesn't sound good. And I'm, I'm one of these people that likes anything that's space, anything that's sci-fi. I'll, I'll watch anything just for that, that little spark of uh, imagination that it gives you. Then I'll put the question to, to you both. Do you think it's the topic? Do you think it's the subject matter? Or do you think it's just, just poor writing? Um, you think people are just not... You know, thinking space flight, or do you think it's just just a matter of uh, some poor writing, and and uh, it it needs to to go back to the drawing board and maybe you know sort of resort itself out and come back. Sounds to me, from what I'm hearing, and there again, I haven't seen a, an episode yet, but I've, I plan to watch one online now that I've heard a little bit about it. It sounds fun. Um, I, it seemed like to to survive. They're probably going to have to uh, steady up a little bit, have a little bit of a little bit of humor, a little bit of uh, human drama, but uh, you know, keep some science in there to to keep it, uh, and and maybe have a technical director. Was that the term you used? Wondering if they had someone to uh, to keep them on the straight and narrow. Yes, sir. That's uh, correct. They certainly should have one if they don't, and uh, I. I'll hold out hope for him, but it doesn't sound too good. <laughs> I agree. It's not sounding very good for uh, Defying Gravity here because it's just, I don't know if it's humans not really being interested in space flight and everything, but you'd think it's trying to be more human interest in this case than factual. Do you think maybe being more accurate would actually uh, get more people to watch it? Because I know uh, just reading the tweet stream during the show, you could tell that everyone's always nitpicky about, oh, how is this possible? And sometimes they will uh, make up for it, like magnetic things that'll keep it from floating away. But at the same time, is it too much of a stretch for people to actually buy to continue watching it? And that's a question that I have about it. You know, again, I still say if they, they went for a technical advisor on this thing, and tried to make it a little better. It might be accepted more through the space community, but I don't know if, if it's going to save it enough for the public at large. And I don't know if this is sort of a... Um, and I, I hate to say this, if this is just some sort of idea about how the public is thinking about spaceflight in general. You'd think that's the case, where people are just sort of sort of suffering from the same apathy that I'm sort of feeling out there. Um, just you know, either not caring or not knowing or, or anything. You think that this is this is sort of indicative of that? I think it's very possible because now it's just oh, spaceflight, whatever. And if it's not a Star Wars or anything like that, you're not going to get the same viewing audience. Because as well, I don't know if they're aiming 
at the right target. Because you said earlier they are trying to call it sort of like a Grey's Anatomy in space. Mm -hmm. So that brings up the question if maybe it would do better um, even during a daytime slot because it's more of like a soap opera than a factual space thing. So is it better during, you know, competing with daytime millionaire rather than uh, family guy or whatever is on? What do you think, Mark? Do you think that might be a good deal to throw it into the uh, the soap opera ranks? I don't think it's going to fly there, but um, I know the I know that demographic, and I don't think it's going to fly there. <laughs> well, um, it. I remember uh, reading a note from someone on the uh, probably the last shuttle launch that I think they were overseas, and I believe their comment was that. There was only what was it, 30 seconds to a minute of coverage on, on one of the big, uh, you know, online one of the cable uh, type providers that they had access to, overseas, and, you know, America's attention span has has always been real widely variable on, even the real space that, uh, you know, the real science that we have, so. For it to be captured by by this kind of a show that that's that has some some pretty loose science associated with it, and uh, you know, there's shows that we've seen: Battlestar Galactica, the Star Wars, Star Trek, you know, any number of shows, Firefly, to where they do things, but they do them in a believable way because they're not trying to explain it. They're just saying this is how. This is how our ship works. This is what we do, and it sounds like they're they're leaving a lot of loose loose ends on this, from what y'all are telling me. Yeah, I think they are. But again, I'm I'm just going to go back to what does you know the fact that this the series is tanking. What does it say about you know the real stuff? Um, what does it say? You know, is is it saying that that interest in the program is wane? You know, is just not there, and. How do we? Well, we may not be able to to go ahead and um, reverse defying gravity, but gosh darn it, I want to reverse what's going on out there uh, with spaceflight. You think that you know? I, I guess I, I, I. Do you guys understand what I'm trying to say? Honestly, I think I know exactly what you're saying. And uh, like Mark was just mentioning, someone overseas, one of the major networks, only carried about uh, thirty seconds to a minute, and. I agree because I was watching some of the TV stations as well, and uh, CNN only had about two, three minutes of it max. Um, I remember Fox News had a smidge more. They had like four minutes, and the most was actually HDNet, which did not show the entire thing either. They switched right back to a boxing match. So that kind of shows that, you know, it's maybe that there's other important things going on, like the Ted Kennedy uh, things were going on at the same time. But wrestling, it really shows how much uh, public interest is declining in space, and I think Defying Gravity is reflecting that. So, okay, we may not be able to, to, to save this particular show from itself. I think they're, they're kind of sort of tripping over their own feet in some ways, but um, I'm going to go ahead and put this to you. Is there some sort of magic formula that we could put together maybe to, you know, that we who are concerned about the program could put together um, for space. Is there something that we could probably start doing to to try to save the program, even in just a minor way? All right, what do you think, Mark? 
Well, I think that there's a lot, and I've, I've really seen a lot in the last six months where, uh, where I've found interesting links to, to uh, information that's on the NASA website that, that I hadn't stumbled across. Um, I think you have to, to get the information out there, the things that are going on, the, uh, the projects that are, that are happening at, at the different NASA centers, the uh, group that's out, out west doing the uh, lunar, is it the lunar excursion, lunar, oh, oh, help me out, L-E-R. L-E-R, the lunar excursion rover, I think. Yeah, yeah. Almost like the desert rats. Yeah, exactly, that's what I'm thinking of. Right, I mean, things like that, uh, the the information that uh, Mars Phoenix, the the Twitter Mars Phoenix was putting out during its, you know, limited uh, mission. Uh, the things that you saw there that even even a little 140 character uh, message of you know found ice found water on Mars you know we're gonna put it in the oven and and see what we get from from our uh, analysis I mean things like that are uh, to me it's exciting and how do you get the word out it, it's gonna be podcasts it's gonna be blogs it's gonna be I got a friend who recently, I told him that we had a, a launch, uh, was it Friday a week and a few days ago? And uh, he told me a few days later, he said, hey, I saw the shuttle launch. He said, that's the first one I've ever seen. And I'm thinking, how can you live in, in North Florida and not ever have seen a shuttle launch, even from 100 and plus miles away? Um and that there's lots and lots of people out there, so it's uh, kind of spreading the the interest, talking about the things that are going on and the the people that it that it grabs their attention. They'll say, "What's what's that all about? Tell me more." And I think that's that's our job, guys, um, as as space enthusiasts, and uh, we have to go out out there and just you know sort of let the get the word out, let people know that 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 the space program really really touches every aspect of their lives and and that you know whether they know it or not and to keep the program robust is actually going to benefit them in the long run right because oops, sorry go ahead don't no, go ahead you're, you're oh because i even work with uh kids at my job and there are times where we go over spinoffs and other things that they don't realize have even come from NASA technology. And the best is, at the same time, some of their parents are in the room, and they have a sheet of what their tax dollars are spent on, what it goes to when they go to NASA. And whenever I ask them what they think came from NASA, they always say Tang or <laughs> astronaut ice cream. Little do they realize that uh, even Velcro on their kids' shoes, their cell phone, the technology there, weather satellites, they don't realize how many small little things have come from the space program. And I just love to see the reactions on the parents' faces when they realize, wow, all this came from less than 1% of my taxes. Yeah, exactly. Well, take, take, take a look at the uh, International Space Station, the, the solar cell arrays that are up there. Think about how, how large they are compared to anything that was in space, I'm sure, before that. And there's some phenomenal technology and engineering and a lot of progress that went into the the small solar arrays that uh, that were on probably satellites that uh, maybe went to the moon or went to Mars and explored the solar system. Uh, but big developments from there that that have I'm sure applications on Earth. All right, um, gang, I, I 
we're about, uh, I guess we're about done here. So I think so. Um, folk, you know, Mark, again, thank you so much for deciding to, uh, to come on board with this. I really do appreciate it. Sawyer, again, thank you so much for joining us on, on the inaugural run. No and, problem. Glad to join you. And, thank you, Gene. Oh, thank you, Mark. And guys, again, I uh, hope to talk to, you, uh, talk to you again soon. Yeah, so uh, for everybody out there as well, as you notice this podcast still, uh, we've yet to decide official names. So um, if you've got a name idea, we're more than welcome for you to receive it. Plus, I know that there are a lot of people out there that tweet about everything about Defying Gravity and all these topics that we discussed. So if you as well have anything that you think should be discussed, a topic that you'd like to hear, or any comments about we've, what we've mentioned, we have an email address for you to send that to. So if you'd like, you can send us an idea for a name or any comments you have about the show to spacetweetpodcast at gmail.com. That is S-P-A-C-E-T-W-E-E-P podcast at gmail.com. And also, if you'd like, if you have any comments, you don't have to just type them. You can actually send them to us with your voice, and we may play them on this podcast. So if you have a microphone and the ability to record something as an MP3 file, be sure to send it to that email address as well, and you may hear it on the podcast. Exactly. And if you can go ahead, if you're going to make the MP3, make sure it's about under a minute, uh, just for, for size purposes, for the, uh, for the email. For the email. Uh, I don't know if, uh, how, how nice Gmail is for, for space, but, uh, um, again, you know, if you, the, the best way is, is brevity. Uh, so if you go ahead and keep it short and sweet, we will definitely use it here. Okay, again, uh, Mark and Sawyer, thank you so much, and we'll s thank you again for joining us, and uh, thank you all out there for, for going ahead and deciding to take a chance on us and listen to us, and uh, we'll see you again next time. Thanks again. Bye.